Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today, we're continuing our gospel study with the gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter nine. We're finishing that up today. And if you're just joining us, I would encourage you to go back to the beginning of this series. It started in September because what we're doing is we're going through piece by piece and we're taking a look at the gospel of Matthew and looking at the history and the culture and really understanding the relevance that it has for today. If you are somebody that wants to dive a little bit deeper, I just want to let you know that we have journaling prompts that go along with each episode. And I find that journaling really helps you get this information from your head to your heart. It helps you process it and pray through that. That's available on our Patreon page and you can get the link to that in the show notes. And then also, if you need a little bit extra help, I offer spiritual direction and life coaching, and it can be a great way to help you walk through that together. So again, we're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 35. It says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a lot of richness to unpack here, and there's so many things that I think are consistent with these themes that we've been learning throughout the book of Matthew. In verse 27, it says the name, the son of David. And I want to just point that out because I think it's significant. You know, we know that, of course, Jesus is referred to as the Messiah and the son of David. But this is not an instance where Jesus is calling himself the son of David. What's it say? It says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. It's two blind men that are calling him son of David, which I think is really significant because there's a couple things that had to come to play for them to call him that. First, we know that the Messiah was from the lineage of David. That's why he's called the son of David. But there was an expectation that the Messiah would be a military leader like David, or maybe even a political leader, not that he would have been a healer like Jesus. But what these men knew was something from the Old Testament. These blind men understood this connection between the healing 
and the identity of Jesus, that it's going beyond this traditional Jewish view of him. Because God ruled over blindness and sight in the Old Testament, both in Exodus and in Proverbs. And he could answer the prayer of the prophets to remove and restore the human sight. And so in this messianic age, there's this promise to bring healing to the blind from the Messiah. And and even Jesus told John the Baptist that that would be one of the signs that he indeed was the expected Messiah. See, these blind men knew that, and they were calling this out by calling him the son of David. You know, we see over and over this theme of compassion. And this theme of compassion with Jesus is also coupled with his power to heal. And so it's not that he's just moved with compassion, but he also heals them. There's an action piece to this compassion that he has. And then moving down to verse 30 and verse 31, it says that Jesus warned them, but they still spread the good news. And, you know, I I think there's some confusion here because if you're first reading this, you might think, well, why would Jesus not want anybody to know that he had healed these men? Well, the reality was, is the activity of healing that Jesus was doing was beginning to catch the attention of the Jewish leaders. And according to Matthew, that would eventually lead to a plot to kill him. And so under Roman occupation, which at this time they were, any activity by an occupied people, which would be the Jewish people, any activity that was seen as potentially rebellious would cause alarm, both for the people that were living there, as well as for the local leaders who had to give an account to Rome. And so in some ways, the religious leaders of the time, they were trying to do what was best for the people because they felt like this rebellious act that they saw Jesus was doing, go figure, healing is rebellion, but in their mind it was, this rebellious act was going to eventually cause problems for them with Rome. And so they were trying to squash it. And so there's a timing issue with all of that. And so Jesus trying to keep that quiet is just, again, this evidence that he's trying to do things in the right and the appropriate time. Also, when there was words out about the healing that Jesus was doing, that would drive further crowds. And the large groups of people that were following Jesus, they were spreading the news of of not just his healing, but this proclamation of the kingdom of God not the kingdom of Caesar. And that was problematic because those healings would give evidence that what he was saying is true. And that's going to raise concern for Rome. And so here Jesus is portrayed as attempting to limit that impact because there's kind of like an infamy growing with his ministry. And again, it's a timing issue because he doesn't want that news to be out too soon because he wants to heal as many people as he can. He wants to get the news of the kingdom out to as many people as he can in this short period of time that he has. And then down in verse 34, it talks about the demons and how there's this reference that, oh, Jesus is only driving out these demons as a prince of demons. And very quickly, Jesus corrects them. He refutes that. But There's also what Matthew reveals as a couple typical responses to what we see to healing and to demonic deliverance. The first is the negative example of the Pharisees. I can tell you that there's been times where I myself have personally witnessed or experienced the deliverance of, you know, praying for somebody and somebody gets delivered of of a demonic spirit. And there are people, especially other religious leaders, that have a negative view of that. And especially when you're talking about more conservative faiths, you know, I come from a charismatic, full gospel, spirit-filled kind of background. 
but some of the more conservative face, they have a negative view of that and they have a negative view of the people that are involved in that. And um, it's so, so sad because there's so many issues. And, you know, one of the things that always sticks with me is one of the African pastors said to me, you know, I love Americans because Americans don't have demons. They have issues and then they just medicate their issues. And I thought, man, boy, are you are you right in that? I mean, that's that's the general mentality, even within the church a lot of times. And so sometimes there is a negative view of that. Sometimes there's a more positive example, like Matthew shows us with the crowds. Of course, the crowds are in favor of the deliverance of these demons. They see the oppression that and, and the possession that has plagued these people. And, you know, typically what happens is when we go into a country and we pray for somebody, especially, and it's not that it doesn't happen here in the States. It's just much more rare. It's a lot less likely to happen than it is sometimes in the other countries I work in. But those people that either were possessed themselves or were family members or witness or live in close community with people that had possess- been possessed or oppressed by demons, they have a positive view of that happening, that deliverance happening, because they know the difference it's going to make before and after. And then the third response we see is the response of faith that we see from different people that, that are seeking this deliverance or even healing. And again, what happens often is once you pray for somebody to get healed or delivered, then other people see that and they themselves come with this expectation, this faith expectation, and they often will get healed or or saved or delivered themselves because of the faith that they see, this faith in Jesus, the Jesus that still heals. And, you know, maybe you have not seen this up close and personal, but I have. And I've seen the drastic difference it makes for people when they live their lives before and after. And, you know, I myself went through something, you know, not demonic oppression or possession, but I went through something where I kind of had like a crisis of belief where I thought, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't doubt that God can still heal and deliver people. I don't doubt that that still happens. I just haven't seen it. And I don't know for sure in my own life. And it wasn't until I went onto the mission field that I started seeing that actually happening on a regular basis. And I thought, man, this stuff is real. And we've been so deceived within the American church because the enemy tends to have a really firm grasp on keeping people bound. And it's so, so sad. It, it moves me with compassion. I can certainly understand why it would move Jesus with compassion because he created, he's the creator as fully God, fully man. He's a creator. And to see his creation, humanity just bound, it's got to be so heartbreaking for him. Down in verse 35 through 38, it's a separate section, but it's starting to talk about the work of Jesus and it's transitioning now into the work of the disciples. And so in the beginning part of, you know, chapters eight and chapters nine, what we see is Jesus doing most of the work, the healing, the deliverance. But what's going to happen now from this point on, starting in chapter 10, is now it's going to be the disciples who are going to be expected to carry on the work of their teacher. That was normal. When somebody studied under a rabbi, eventually they would carry on the work of the rabbi. And so there's going to be a transition happening where Jesus is going to start expecting them to do some of this work as well. And then in verses 35 and 36, it makes a reference of them being without Moses or a king. What does that mean? Well, Israel had been said to be a sheep without a shepherd. 
And that illusion is basically a ruler. It means that they didn't have a king or a leader. And so when Israel was without another faithful shepherd, like a religious leader, God himself would become its shepherd. Now, it was God's plan and desire that they would not have to have a king or a leader at all, that he would be their king and their leader. But they demanded that. We know that in the Old Testament, they demanded somebody with skin on. You know, we do that the same same thing. God sent me somebody with skin on. They wanted a ruler. So he gave them a ruler. Now, various rulers and various kings, they there was good kings and there was bad kings. But if they are without a shepherd or a ruler, God himself becomes the shepherd and the ruler. And so when he's talking about this ministry of this shepherd kind of ministry, well, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple things that a shepherd would have been in charge of. And and again, the agrarian society that Matthew would have been sharing this with, they knew. They knew what it meant to be a shepherd. We don't always know what it means to be a shepherd, but they knew. They knew that a shepherd's ministry to its sheep would include feeding and watering, caring for and nurturing those sheep. They knew it would include healing. In fact, the shepherd often would, one by one, he wouldn't even just wait until a sheep would show a sign of being injured. He would one by one go and he would hold the head of the sheep and he would inspect the sheep and he would look to see what that sheep needed. Was there you know, perhaps a broken leg or was there perhaps some, you know, briars that they got caught in that need pulled out. The shepherd would inspect the sheep to see what they needed. The shepherd was responsible for the healing and the safekeeping of the sheep. And then the third thing is he would bring back the lost sheep. If there was even one sheep that was gone astray, the shepherd would go and it would grab the sheep and bring it back into the sheepfold. And so what Matthew is doing here is he's implying that those that were in charge of shepherding Israel, its leaders, they were failing. And then verse 37 and 38, it talks about the harvest and the harvest was urgent and it had to be completed in a specific time frame. and there was a narrow window. And so that harvest imagery could be used for this idea of the end time. And you know, I have a lot of feelings about this. You know, I live in rural Pennsylvania. We had a really big garden this year and I am by no means a farmer, but I do know what it means to harvest. And I know that typically when the crop comes in, it comes in all at once. And, you know, this year we had tomatoes coming at the same time as the peppers, as the same time as the broccoli, at the same time as the watermelon. And I think in one day we pulled like a hundred pounds of produce out of our garden. And it was like, man, what are we going to do with all this stuff? We had to process it or give it away and deal with it all at once. Sometimes that's what happens with the harvest. When when God has primed a people group to receive the good news of the gospel, it, it happens sometimes all at once. It happens in community. And we have to be ready as workers of the gospel to take advantage of that and share our faith and ask people if they want to come to faith in Christ. Right now, we are facing some uncertain times with everything that's going on with Israel and that region of the world. There's a lot of fear within the body of Christ. And we are not to walk in fear. Fear is from the enemy. Instead, we are to walk in faith. And perhaps now is the time, if you've never shared your faith before with people in your circle of influence, whether that's your on the job or in the grocery store or your next door neighbors, I think in general, people are walking in fear. And this is the time where the harvest is very, very ripe. And we need to be workers sent out into that field to gather in the harvest. 
You know, I want to make a note about this connection between faith and healing, and then we're going to go ahead and reread this passage. I think that sometimes when we talk about faith and healing, it is done in a way that is just sometimes not biblical. Sometimes people will preach that if you're not healed, then you don't have enough faith, and they attach the healing to the faith of that person. And while, yes, we are seeing this model of incredible amount of faith with people that are coming to Jesus for healing, the focus should not be on us and our amount of faith. The focus should be on the object of our faith, which is Jesus. And sometimes healing happens on this side of heaven, and sometimes healing happens on the other side of heaven. And oftentimes, that does not have anything to do with the amount of faith that that individual has. You know, there is a a dear friend of mine, an older woman, who had the most faith, the most faith of anybody I've ever known in my life, and she believed in faith for her healing, and she ended up passing away with cancer. Now, was she healed? Some people say, no, all that faith was gone to waste. She didn't get healed. Yes, she did. She's 100% healed now. It happened on the other side of heaven. And, you know, there was a time in my life where, um, and I've told this story, so I'll be brief. I've told it before on the podcast where my daughters and I all had a gluten intolerance, gluten issue, and we went forward in a prayer line and it was a blessing line. And I just, as an afterthought, thought, okay, God, please heal me and my babies and just didn't even think twice about it. And, you know, I, I barely had faith. It was like faith the size of a mustard seed and God a hundred percent healed, not just me, but my two daughters of the gluten intolerance instantly like that. And I barely even said the prayer. And I think about that in terms of the amount of faith that this woman had believing God for her healing, complete healing from her cancer diagnosis versus and contrasted with the very small amount of faith that I had with the healing for me and my daughters. And that revealed to me that it's not about me and my faith. Are we to have faith? Yes, absolutely. But it's about the object of our faith. And that's Jesus. So given that insight, I want to go back and I'm going to reread these passages, verses 27 through 35. It says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When they saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God, I thank you that even now we can sense your care and your compassion on those that are hurting, God, that they are fearful and wondering what's next. God, I pray that even now you would work in the hearts of the workers, that they would recognize that it is a time for a harvest, that the hope of the gospel is what they need, healing. God, we know that the body of Christ is sick without you in in the sense that they don't even recognize the, the power 
that is within them to lay hands on people and to pray for healing and to be agents of what you have called the disciples to do, you've also called us to do. So God, I would pray that even right now, you would rise up a generation of people that would be willing to stand in the gap, that would be willing to share the gospel, that would be willing to, in faith, pray for healing for those around them. God, I pray for the ache that we feel for those that are hurting around us that don't know you yet, God. I pray that you would give us divine appointments and you would give us the boldness to be obedient to share the good news of the gospel. I thank you and praise you in all things. Amen. Okay, friends, we'll talk tomorrow. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.